section 10 of Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1, by John Calvin. Translated by Rev. John Pringle. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 21. For since the world knew not. The right order of things was assuredly this, that man, in contemplating the wisdom of God in his works, by the light of the understanding furnished him by nature, might arrive at an acquaintance with him. As, however, this order of things had been reversed through man's depravity, God designs in the first place to make us see ourselves to be fools before he makes us wise unto salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And secondly, as a token of his wisdom, he presents to us what has some appearance of folly. This inversion of the order of things, the ingratitude of mankind deserved. By the wisdom of God, he means the workmanship of the whole world, which is an illustrious token and clear manifestation of his wisdom. God therefore presents before us in his creatures a bright mirror of his admirable wisdom, so that everyone that looks upon the world and the other works of God must of necessity break forth in admiration of him if he has a single spark of sound judgment. If men were guided to a right knowledge of God by the contemplation of his works, they would know God in the exercise of wisdom, or by a natural and proper method of acquiring wisdom. But as the whole world gained nothing in point of instruction from the circumstance that God had exhibited his wisdom in his creatures, he then resorted to another method of instructing men, Thus it must be reckoned as our own fault that we do not attain a saving acquaintance with God before we have been emptied of our own understanding. He makes a concession when he calls the gospel the foolishness of preaching, having that appearance in the view of those foolish sages, Morisophos, who, intoxicated with false confidence, fear not to subject God's sacred truth to their senseless criticism, and indeed, in another point of view, nothing is more absurd in the view of human reason than to hear that God has become mortal, that life has been subjected to death, that righteousness has been veiled under the appearance of sin, and that the source of blessing has been made subject to the curse, that by this means men might be redeemed from death and become partakers in a blessed immortality, that they might obtain life, that, sin being destroyed, righteousness might reign, and that death and the curse might be swallowed up. We know, 
nevertheless in the meantime that the gospel is the hidden wisdom first corinthians chapter two verse seven which in its height surmounts the heavens and at which angels themselves stand amazed here we have a most beautiful passage from which we may see how great is the blindness of the human mind which in the midst of light discerns nothing for it is true that this world is like a theatre in which the lord presents to us a clear manifestation of his glory and yet notwithstanding that we have such a spectacle placed before our eyes we are stone blind not because the manifestation is furnished obscurely but because we are alienated in mind colossians chapter one verse twenty one and for this matter we lack not merely inclination but ability for notwithstanding that god shows himself openly it is only with the eye of faith that we can behold him save only that we receive a slight perception of his divinity sufficient to render us inexcusable accordingly when paul here declares that god is not known through means of his creatures you must understand him to mean that a pure knowledge of him is not attained for that none may have any pretext for ignorance mankind make proficiency in the universal school of nature so far as to be affected with some perception of deity but what god is they know not nay more they straightway become vain in their imaginations romans chapter one verse twenty one thus the light shineth in darkness john chapter one verse five it follows then that mankind do not err thus far through mere ignorance so as not to be chargeable with contempt negligence and ingratitude thus it holds good that all have known god and yet have not glorified him romans chapter one verse twenty one and that on the other hand no one under the guidance of mere nature ever made such proficiency as to know god should any one bring forward the philosophers as exceptions i answer that in them more especially there is presented a signal token of our weakness for there will not be found one of them that has not from the first principle of knowledge which i have mentioned straightway turned aside into wandering and erroneous speculations and for the most part they betray a silliness worse than that of old wives when he says that those are saved that believe this corresponds with the foregoing statement that the gospel is the power of god unto salvation farther by contrasting believers whose number is small with a blind and senseless world he teaches us that we err if we stumble at the smallness of their number inasmuch as they have been divinely set apart to salvation verse twenty two for the jews require a sign this is explanatory of the preceding statement showing in what respects the preaching of the gospel is accounted foolishness at the same time he does not simply explain but even goes a step farther by saying that the jews do not merely despise the gospel but even abhor it the jews says he desire through some means of miracles to have before their eyes an evidence of divine power the greeks are fond of what tends to gratify human intellect by the applause of acuteness we on the other hand preach christ crucified wherein there appears at first view nothing but weakness and folly he is therefore a stumbling-block to the jews 
when they see him as it were forsaken by god to the greeks it appears like a fable to be told of such a method of redemption by the term greeks here in my opinion he does not mean simply gentiles but has in view those who had the polish of the liberal sciences or were distinguished by superior intelligence at the same time by synecdoche all the others came in like manner to be included between jews and greeks however he draws this distinction that the former striking against christ by an unreasonable zeal for the law raged against the gospel with unbounded fury as hypocrites are wont to do when contending for their superstitions while the greeks on the other hand puffed up with pride regarded him with contempt as insipid when he ascribes it to the jews as a fault that they are eagerly desirous of signs it is not on the ground of its being wrong in itself to demand signs but he exposes their baseness in the following respects that by an incessant demand for miracles they in a manner sought to bind god to their laws that in accordance with the dullness of their apprehension they sought as it were to feel him out in manifest miracles that they were taken up with the miracles themselves and looked upon them with amazement and in fine that no miracles satisfied them but instead of this they every day gaped incessantly for new ones hezekiah is not reproved for having of his own accord allowed himself to be confirmed by a sign second kings chapter nineteen verse twenty nine and chapter twenty verse eight nor even gideon for asking a twofold sign judges chapter six verses thirty seven and thirty nine nay instead of this ahaz is condemned for refusing a sign that the prophet had offered him isaiah chapter seven verse twelve what fault then was there on the part of the jews in asking miracles it lay in this that they did not ask them for a good end set no bounds to their desire and did not make a right use of them for while faith ought to be helped by miracles their only concern was how long they might persevere in their unbelief while it is unlawful to prescribe laws to god they wantoned with inordinate desire while miracles should conduct us to an acquaintance with christ and the spiritual grace of god they served as a hindrance in their way on this account too christ upbraids them mark chapter eight verse twelve a perverse generation seeketh after a sign for there were no bounds to their curiosity and inordinate desire and for all that they had so often obtained miracles no advantage appeared to arise from them verse twenty four both greeks and jews he shows by this contrast that the fact that christ was so unfavorably received was not owing to any fault on his part nor to the natural disposition of mankind generally but arose from the depravity of those who were not enlightened by god inasmuch as the elect of god whether jews or gentiles are not hindered by any stumbling-block from coming to christ that they may find in him a sure salvation he contrasts power with the stumbling-block that was occasioned by abasement and wisdom he contrasts with folly the sum then is this i am aware that nothing except signs has effect upon the obstinacy of the jews and that nothing soothes down the haughtiness of the greeks except an empty show of wisdom 
we ought however to make no account of this because however our christ in connection with the abasement of his cross is a stumbling-block to the jews and is derided by the greeks he is notwithstanding to all the elect of whatever nation they may be at once the power of god unto salvation for surmounting these stumbling-blocks and the wisdom of god for throwing off that mask verse twenty five for the foolishness of god while the lord deals with us in such a way as to seem to act foolishly because he does not exhibit his wisdom what appears foolishness surpasses in wisdom all the ingenuity of men farther while god appears to act with weakness in consequence of his concealing his power that weakness as it is reckoned is stronger than any power of men we must however always keep it in view that there is a concession as i have noticed a little ago for no one can but perceive that in strict propriety neither foolishness nor weakness can be ascribed to god but it was necessary by such ironical expressions to beat down the mad presumption of the flesh which does not scruple to rob god of all his glory end of section 10